it's your Thursday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back with all of you for another day and another good show coming up. Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune covers college football. Gophers College Football joins me here in just a little while to talk about Last week's disappointment, let's just call it that. I think we could all call it that fairly. Um, 31-13 loss to North Carolina. We've talked about that extensively this week already. Uh, But Randy has some fresh perspectives, of course, being the beat writer. He was there as well in North Carolina. We also have to spin this forward, take a look at kind of the big picture. Quarterback Ethan Calicmanis has struggled this year. Uh, maybe not a surprise given that he's still relatively young and new in the program, but they will need him and the rest of the offense to step it up going forward, make better decisions, have better accuracy, and turn a lot of these drives that have resulted in short field goals into touchdowns, especially when they get into the meat of the Big Ten season. Now this weekend maybe offers them a little bit of an opportunity. They play Northwestern, Northwestern not one of the elite teams in the Big Ten struggling again this season. Chance for the Gophers to get to 2-0 in conference play, start feeling a little bit better about themselves, but they have to do it. They have to execute. This is still a Big Ten team they're playing. They can't just walk in there and expect to win. So Randy and I will break all that down here in just a little bit. Um, got a bunch of other stuff to get to today. Like I've talked about, this is kind of the convergence time of the season, late September early October, especially when the Twins are playing well, which they are, um, we've got to get to uh, a coronation on the way here very soon. We've got to get to some uh, some season ending here in a little bit, too, and a season beginning here in a little bit. First, though, what did I miss? Dueling desperation in Minnesota sports. Let's start with the Vikings. which we've talked about a lot already this week, especially um, a couple days ago with Royce and some yesterday too. I brought a few things up yesterday, including the Dalton Reisner signing. But 0-2 right now, home started out as home underdogs to the Chargers. I think that maybe that line has moved into more of a an even line, but started out as two-point underdogs to the Chargers at home. Chargers also 0-2. More to the point, though, two moves already this week that signal to me that the plan going into the season wasn't working, and they felt not just the need to tweak, but the need to kind of urgently fix something that they had months to address. The first one, of course, was Reisner. The guard brought in on a one-year deal, prorated $4 million deal, more than $2 million guaranteed, um, we talked a lot about that on the Access Vikings podcast that went live Wednesday. Um, bailbag episode, by the way, goes live today, so listen for that. We talked a lot about that and just kind of why the timing of that, why now, why not do that when he was in for a visit in August. I'm still not exactly sure. I'm still a little bit baffled why they didn't do it then. I think Dalton Reisner, if you read his quotes in Ben Gessling's story today, is a little bit baffled as well that he didn't draw at least a little bit more free agency interest than he did um, ultimately get and sign with the Vikings. 
because he had started 62 games in his first four years in the league with the Broncos. Someone with whom um, the Vikings are familiar, someone with whom should bolster the line. Why not do it sooner? I don't know. They did it now because, A, the offensive line has been decimated already by injuries. Um, no Garrett Bradbury since very early in the first game of the season. No Ole Udo after his season-ending injury last week. Christian Derrissaw has been limited. Uh, his, that He's got that ankle injury. He didn't play against Philadelphia. He was kind of you know, limping around on it in that first game against Tampa Bay. No guarantees that he plays this week, although you would imagine he will try. So already, A, you know, hit with their depth has taken a hit, and B, the players that have been in there at guard, especially Ed Ingram, have not done a good job this season. These are guys who struggled last year to a degree, Ingram and Ezra Cleveland. Cleveland, to me, has always been the better of those two, the more experienced of those two, but they don't seem terribly high on either one of them, even though both of them are second-round picks, even though one of them, Ingram, is a second-round pick of the current regime, taken in 2022, the first draft under Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell. So, they don't like their depth, they don't like the start to the year, and they don't like their injury, so they go get Dalton Reisner. It makes sense. They had a need, but why didn't they get him sooner? Well, it feels right now, like I said, like they 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 rediscovered that they had a need when they weren't able to get much going in the running game. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins has taken, I think, 19 hits already this season, so the pass game, even though it's been effective, even though he's got good numbers this year, has you know, taken a toll on Cousins already. In each of those losses, there's been a strip sack of Cousins on a big hit that's resulted in a pretty big turnover in the other direction. You know, fumbles deep in the Vikings' own territory, I believe, in both cases on those plays. So there's definitely a need, but it does feel to me like desperation. You bring in Dalton Reisner, and more to that, you bring in Cam Akers. They trade for Cam Akers yesterday. Um, You know, it's a very low leverage swap they they trade a conditional sixth round pick they get a conditional seventh round pick and cam acres from the rams and these are 2026 picks so these are like three years down the line basically the rams get a pick that's going to be you know 30 spots higher late in the draft there's a little tiny bit of value there it's basically like instead of releasing him let's get a little bit of value for him something like that so you get Cam Akers, who you know has a bit of a track record, and Kevin O'Connell obviously knows him coming from the Rams. But is this really a guy who's going to you know affect your running game in a big way? I mean, look at his numbers. He did run for 786 yards last season, 4.2 yards per carry. Uh, 2021 barely played at all. 2020 had a pretty good year, over 600 yards. This year. One game, one start, 22 carries for 29 yards. Is this the guy that's going to revive your running game? I don't know. They probably aren't expecting him to be a savior, probably just an opportunity to get a little bit more quality depth in here, which they don't feel like they've had at this point. Um, so I get it. I get why they made these moves, but it's weird to me that they have done this this early in the season. It just speaks to me of a team that maybe underestimated its need and overestimated its plan going into the season to now have to do this to be facing what to me is a you know we like we said I think Andrew Kramer on Access Vikings Wednesday said this is as close to a must-win game as you can get in September and I agree with that it kind of feels like a, a crossroads for this team they lose this game 
you know, the the history of 0-3 teams making the playoffs in the NFL, even if there was a seven-team playoff, is you know, basically like two percent. Like this is not a good look if they if they lose this game. Now the Chargers are very beatable. They've already been beaten twice. They will do things to hurt themselves, and they are not a you know a top five or top ten team even when they are firing on all cylinders. So I'm not saying they're they're in you know, this kind of situation where oh man they're 0 two and they've got a game where they can't you know where where they're not likely to win. I think they're still you know a coin flip maybe a little bit better to win this game. But if they lose, I think they understand the position they're in. So a lot to take in from the Vikings already this season. A lot to understand about maybe their plan wasn't the best right now. And speaking of maybe the plan wasn't the best right now, the other part of the dueling desperation, Minnesota United up three one at the LA Galaxy on Wednesday. Cough up that lead in the second half, give up three late goals to LA, lose four to three, fall below the line to even get into the play-in in Major League Soccer. They've got this play-in now. Top seven in the in each conference make it eight and nine play the play-in round to get into the, the to get into the bigger playoffs. They are tenth now Still five matches left in the regular season. Three of them, I believe, at Allianz Field. And Adrian Heath kind of described those three matches as the ones that will probably define their season. But he was pretty harsh in his criticism of the way this one unfolded. You know, you don't usually see, you know, specific criticism of players. And he didn't really... You know, he didn't really name names, but he, you know, he was obviously upset afterwards. Said we managed to throw a game away that we should have won. We can talk about the reasons why. Reading from Jerry Zagoda's stuff, he used the words "stupid decisions," "schoolboy stuff," and "comical" to describe the goals that were given up and some of the decisions that were made. Um, it was, you know. It, you know, there was one other quote I'm trying to find here. People not doing their job, he said. A lot of times, I have to be honest, it's the same people involved in some of this stuff. We'll have to evaluate it all. Now is not the time. He's talking about a lot of late goals conceded at the ends of games this season that have really cost the Loons, who are trying to make the playoffs for, I believe, the fifth season in a row. And another piece of concern to take from that game, Emmanuel Reynoso subbed out at halftime. He's been, you know, kind of nursing an injury. Probably doesn't sound like something too serious. And they were up 3-1, so maybe the decision was in part, hey, let's protect the lead, protect Reynoso. But that backfires a little bit when they give up the lead and don't have Reynoso in there to maybe try to get the goals back. So all-around tough night in L.A. for Minnesota United, and their desperation started to set in. They're going to need... Some better performances, especially late in the season and late in games, to turn this thing around and make the playoffs for a fifth consecutive season. Feels like that's too negative of a way to end this opening segment, though. So let's talk Twins for just a minute. A dramatic ninth inning win over the Reds. They get three in the ninth to beat the Reds 5-3. to three. The Guardians lose again. Magic number down to one. That means if the Guardians lose tonight, the Twins clinch, or the Twins have, I think, nine more opportunities to play to clinch this thing. Nine up with nine to play. So that is a a great uh, great sign for them. A season that was you know uneven all around. 
Probably some good news too. They 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 said Carlos Correa went on the injured list, but they are very optimistic that he'll be back for the postseason. Royce Lewis MRI on that hamstring. We'll know more about that today. Those are probably the bigger questions right now than when they're going to clinch any kind of clinching scenarios. And also keep an eye on this: the Twins just four games back of the Astros um, in the the AL West leading Astros. Now it would take a lot for the Twins to pass them down the stretch here, especially because the Twins probably aren't going to be playing some of their best players once they clinch. And because there are two teams, the Mariners and the Rangers, right behind the Astros, a half game out. So all three of those teams would have to fall apart while the Twins won. But it's a, it's not a, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Twins could get that, uh, get that buy in the, in the first round of the playoffs. Probably not likely, but it's closer than I thought it would be at the end of the season. So keep an eye on that until that is no longer a possibility as well. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Gophers football writer Randy Johnson joins me now here on Daily Delivery. Randy, we both saw the same thing in North Carolina um, from different vantage points. You up in the press box. I was down kind of on field level almost in that touchdown club for that game with some friends. Lots of fun to be there taking the atmosphere. Not as much fun to be there if you are playing for the Gophers, though. 31-13 loss to North Carolina. Um Randy, uh, the game, you wrote about it, Chip wrote about it. it. It came down to more than just one thing, but if we are going to boil it down to its essence, North Carolina's quarterback is a likely top five, top ten draft pick in next year's NFL draft, Drake May. He played very well, had over 400 yards passing against the Gophers. Ethan Calic-Manis for the Gophers He's in his third year, but some growing pains right now. 11 for 29, I believe, in that game. Missed some throws that he probably would have liked to have off target with some others that led to some stalled drives and interceptions. What did you make first of his day? And maybe as a follow-up, what's your concern level about him kind of in the big picture based on what we've seen in that game and the others this year? Yeah, Ethan had a, he had a rough day. Uh, you know, he was he it wasn't helped too. He had some guys slip on routes. He had, he had uh, some a uh, couple drop passes that that hurt him. But but he was he was not accurate too, and that that's that's been a concern so far this year. He's he seems like he's throwing behind guys at time, and it, and it sounds it sounds like you know that's not happening in practice. It sounds like in practice he's been pretty accurate. It, he looked very accurate in the times we saw him in uh, training camp. Um, they they got to get that uh, resolved. They, they they need to get that passing game going. Uh, interesting uh, stat. They they have yet to uh, have a offensive play this year of longer than thirty yards. So they've had no explosive uh, plays at all this year. They they you know they had some in the twenties, but um, yeah, they're they need to get that offense moving. If he's accurate in practice but not games, is it a speed thing? Then we think in games or a kind of a you know, a live pass rush kind of rattling him a little bit. What, what are they, how will we diagnose that? Cause it's, you know, if you're a gopher fan, it's probably heartening to hear that maybe accuracy isn't necessarily 
a hallmark or a long, potentially long-term problem because accuracy is hard to teach, right? Like if, you, if you're not accurate in general, that's a hard thing to teach. But what is not translating from practice to games right now? I just think it's experience. You know, this, this is his, his first year starting as a full-time starter. I think it'll come. It's just, it just hasn't yet. I think, you know, got to get him out there again. Got to, got to get him out there and see if, uh, you know, whatever it takes to get the offense going. I think, uh, you know, they didn't use him much uh, against Eastern Michigan. Um, maybe that's a, lo- a lost opportunity. You know, they turned their, the emphasis there was get the running game going and it, it, it got going uh, the, well in that game and it performed very well at North Carolina too, but you need the passing game going too. So you got, you got to get, uh, get your quarterback some reps and uh, you know, more, more than just uh, you know, the 15, like he had at uh, against Eastern Michigan, you know, he had, they had to pass more this week because they, they fell behind right away. Half, uh, 14, nothing after the first two uh, possessions. So yeah, they, they, um, they're, they're going to have issues if they can't uh, generate a good passing attack the, the rest of the season. Red zone has been a big problem. They settled for another short field goal. I believe that was the one that made it 14-3. Um, I'm sure they would have loved to head seven there. I mean, against Eastern Michigan didn't matter as much, but was kind of foreshadowing for that first, you know, good drive that at least they, they got points on against North Carolina. What's the, what's the disconnect there? Do you think why is this a small sample size? Do they have an offense that's not built to get there from, you know, five, 10 yards? What, what do we think is the problem so far this year with scoring once you get really close? Uh, you know, it usually isn't one culprit. It's, you know, it's been different things. Uh, uh, you know, you, you get down close, uh, somebody makes a mistake or somebody, a ball is behind somebody or goes off somebody's hands. It's just, it's having all 11 being on the, on the same page at the same time and doing their jobs. It's yeah, it, it, it's, I'm sure it's frustrating for them. They've, they've scored uh, four touchdowns to three games and have seven field goals and a safety. Um, you know, they, you, you got to get that ball in the end zone. Um, and I'm sure they're working on it. It's, it's just a matter of translating, what you doing to practice to, to the field during the game? You mentioned the running game. Seems like they've found something with Taylor, the freshman. He's been awfully good these last two games. Um, and, you know, it was highly touted coming in. Is Are we getting to the point now where it, I think I asked you this after Eastern Michigan when he had that breakout game, but he was, I think he was freshman of the week again for the second straight week. You don't usually get that in, in this league, but he must, he obviously earned it against North Carolina. Um, is he just is he the guy now? Is this the guy they're going to try to ride? Have we have we seen that he's got that kind of burst that maybe the rest of them, Tyler and everybody else, just don't have yet? Yeah, he'll be their guy. You know, I don't know if he's going to be a a thirty three carry guy, something like that. You know, we saw against uh, um, Eastern Michigan. Uh, you know, he had twenty two carries, hundred thirty thirty eight yards this week. Um, yeah, he's going to be their primary runner. They'll, they'll get Sean Tyler in there. Uh, as a change of pace back and, and you look at Tyler he, he's he's more effective when he can work on the edges he gets he gets shut down pretty quickly inside usually um Taylor's got quite a bit more power um you know he can he can move that pile quite a bit so it's yeah he's um you know he's he's gonna he's obviously he'll he'll have his ups and downs too he's a freshman but so far he's been been pretty good defense gave up those two early scores, they got they kind of kept things close for a while, especially with the two interceptions of Drake May. But overall on the day, like I said, 400 passing yards for Drake May. North Carolina had close to 100 or around 100 on the ground, so over 500 
total yards of offense and, of course, 31 points. The defense had been awfully good the first two weeks, and we still think that's probably the at least the more polished side of the ball right now. What, what's the what's the concern level coming off that game, giving up that many yards, or do you say probably not going to face a quarterback like that again this year? Maybe not that quite that good, but you know you got some coming up uh, like uh, Michigan's JJ McCarthy, who's pretty efficient. Um, yeah, the 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 big plays killed him early. Yeah, uh, they North Carolina gets forty six yard touchdown pass on on, on the first uh, possession. Then there's some confusion on the second possession on on the sideline. They don't get get the substitutions in quickly enough, and tight end goes down the middle for a fifty five yard gain to the one. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, those are. You know, they've. This has been a team that the, over the last couple of years has been very good at limiting the big plays, and that was not the case in the first half on Saturday. So, where do they kind of go from here? It's Northwestern this week. They're pretty big favorites, double digits, 11, 12 points. I saw it was the early look. So, people, you know, at least the 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 odds makers not dissuaded from what they saw. A, I guess from the Gophers against North Carolina and B from probably from what they've seen from Northwestern so far this year, what needs to to get better to make sure they not only win this game, but kind of feel like they have the momentum going into, you know, the rest of the season to, to make this the kind of year they want to have. They need, you know, it sounds real simple, but they need to score touchdowns. Yeah. Um, you know, get, get that, get those seven points, you know, don't settle for three. Um, you know, they, they, and I think they have to show themselves that they can do that consistently. Um, you know, this is a, a chance where it's, you know, not necessarily going to be the easiest of games, um, you know, on the road. You know, Northwestern's not great, but they're still a Big Ten team. And, you know, you, you just can't just take them for granted. It, You know, they need to impose their will on Northwestern and, and, you know, and you know, get that ball in the end zone a few times, three, four, five times. And, you know, that, that, I think that'll do a lot for their psyche. A couple more things for you, Randy Johnson. Um, go for football. Not me. Number one, we we saw when Calic Manis had to leave the game for cramping. Cole Kramer comes in, throws a bad interception. I mean, he's been a good kind of change of pace quarterback over the years. But if he was better than Calic Manis, he'd obviously be playing more right now. And I don't think he is. Um, this is kind of Calic Manis' show, right? Like he needs to kind of figure this out because there's not a um, there's not this kind of internal push behind him right now, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't think uh, you know. I think uh, PJ will have a uh, you know a pretty long uh, leash on on Kelly McManus on, on keeping him as a starter. Though you know he did did say he has he has called Cole Kramer and Ethan. You know he has two starters. He, he, he likes to say you know I I, I do think that um, Cole had a he had a very good spring and a good yeah. training camp. So he has improved. I I, I don't think that. That one throw Saturday was characteristic sure. of what he what he is as a quarterback. I think it was just he he had a bad read and, and he and he hung it up there. Um, but yeah, I think I think they're comfortable if they have to put in Kramer for for an injury situation or something like that. I don't think they're to the point where they're make you know they're considering a change yet. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm not even suggesting that, but I'm just kind of like as you kind of map out the season, like is there. Would there be a point where they did that? But also, you know, at that point, then you're kind of saying, well, then what's the plan going forward? Because they're looking at Calic Manis, I would imagine, is at least, you know, yeah. uh, it's potentially a long-term starter. He's only a sophomore. I know they've got some guys, you know, they always, they're always bringing in recruits. They've got a, a fairly highly regarded guy playing in Arkansas right now. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yep. They, they do. Lindsay, Lindsay is his name, um, uh, last name. Um, 
basically, yeah, right now, right now on, on, on the roster, they got Darius Taylor's teammate as the third stringer, Drew Viado. Uh, and then the fourth would be uh, the walk on um, Max Chicken Jansky from Stillwater. Okay. So kind of his show to run, but I think we need, we need to see more. I would say I would characterize this as an uneven start to the year at best. I'm sure he's probably his own biggest critic, right? Yeah. Ethan fell on the sword big time after the game. You know, he was, he was really hard on himself, blaming himself for, you know, this not being good enough. Not, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, people had asked him about the cramps. He goes, Hey, that's not an excuse. You know, I just got to play better. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think you're going to, you know, this kid works pretty hard. I, I, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna be hard on himself and he's going to put in the work to improve. It's just a matter of uh, making that show up on, on the field. So a true freshman, right? It, it uh, on the offensive line. That's pretty rare. Yeah, Greg Johnson got in and and uh, played uh, you know a good amount. Um, they're very high on this this uh, kid out of Prior Lake. Uh, you know they haven't. Uh, you know the, one of the guard spots has been a little unsettled, and uh, he he's impressed them and uh, through training camp and uh, you know obviously through practices so far. So so he's in there. Final thing, any any update on Cody Lindenberg? We were watching him in warmups. We're like, hey, he doesn't have his pads on. That doesn't look like a great sign. I'm sure he's close, but he he makes the defense a lot different. Yeah, the, you know, they had some tackling issues uh, against North Carolina, and I think had he been able to play, that probably would have helped there. And I, I I would expect him in there this week if, you know, as long as there are no setbacks. Um, he was listed as questionable last week at the, the – the kind of the buzz leading up to the North Carolina game was that there was a pretty good chance he would he would play, but uh, you know, PJ Flex said you know the the train staff held him out. Um, so I but with another week, I would think that he he has a much better chance to play this week. And he, I mean, this wasn't a Big Ten loss. It's kind of you know, they're still one and zero in the conference. Doesn't look like the, doesn't look like the West is going to be great. This year, I mean, but the I mean, North Carolina, the game though, still kind of felt like a little bit of a little bit of a measuring stick. And you look at you know, Michigan, Ohio State on the schedule later this year, and if you, if you can't beat North Carolina and you know or you know lose by eighteen, those don't those don't feel like they're particularly within reach or winnable games. How do you kind of frame the the overall season outlook, kind of after after three games and what we've seen so far? Well, I, I would say that it's. The record is probably what lot, what most people would have thought that'd be. They thought, you know, they, they were underdogs going out to North Carolina and they lost. It, that that's not a huge surprise at all, no. or a surprise at all. Uh, it's the way they've looked that I think people have been a bit a bit disappointed, especially on offense. Um, I think a lot of people expected a much more clean type of offensive performance so far, and they they haven't got that. It's not it's not been nearly efficient enough um, as the uh, the. Uh, touchdowns versus field goals have shown um that said you know they're on schedule in the in the big 10 west uh it's you you look at it yeah they're they're gonna have to beat the west teams to win the west you know they're if you project uh losses to michigan and ohio state which i imagine most people will do um to win that west if you have if you have two conference losses you better not lose um a third game in the uh against the west team uh, I, I think you know it's it's a situation where it's it does look winnable. Um, uh, you know, right now, probably team that look, looking the best is Iowa, and I'm not saying that that that's they've been overly impressive. They, sure. they put together a good offensive game um, this past weekend, but uh, you know they're not. You know, we'll know a lot more about them this weekend. They, they play Penn State. Um, 
you know, Wisconsin's had its ups, ups and downs. Uh, you know, they lost out of Washington State the previous week. They bounced back with uh, the help of uh, like six turnovers from Georgia Southern to, to pull away. Um, so, yeah, at Illinois looks – it looks down. Um, you know, they, they hung in there for a while with, uh, with, with, um, Ohio state there, but, uh, you know, or excuse me, Penn state. Um, and you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the Gophers, they, you know, they should be a contender in the West. It's just, they just didn't get the offense going better than it has so far. Well, maybe a chance to get well this weekend against Northwestern, but you're right. I mean, against anybody, especially in the big 10, you gotta, you gotta turn, those you know trips inside the 10 into touchdowns not field goals and that's something to watch for this week even against a opponent that they look to be much better on paper than we'll see though um randy johnson as always appreciate it we'll talk again next week thanks a lot mike see ya good stuff from randy johnson as always in a big game for the gophers i don't care if the opponent is not great they've got some stuff to figure out on their own end regardless of who they are playing. We need to see them play a more complete offensive game. We need to see more from Ethan Calic Manis in this game. And it would be nice to see them kind of come out and win a game comfortably against a, you know, not a quality opponent, but a Big Ten opponent, a team that, you know, has had success in the past, a team that can beat you if you are not playing up to your at least, you know, average capability. So I want to see a lot from them this weekend against Northwestern. We'll see if they can deliver. Speaking of time to deliver, let's finish with the cooler, a beginning and an end right here in the cooler. Start with the end which is only fitting. Um, the Lynx, their season's over. We talked a lot about that on Wednesday show with Kent Youngblood, this opportunity they had after rallying to make the playoffs, then rallying in game two after some tough games at the end of the season. Forced a game three at Target Center against Connecticut on Wednesday night, but Connecticut, the better team all year, the more experienced playoff players, the Lynx fall short 90-75, to and the story of the game was pretty easy to decipher. Nafisa Collier had 31 points. Nobody else did much of anything in terms of scoring. I think Kent, you know, Kent wrote that until late in the game, nobody else had even double figures for the Lynx, and they couldn't contain Connecticut offensively as well. So it was probably the just result in this game. I think Connecticut, I know Connecticut, has been the better team all year. Where the Lynx go from here is an interesting question. I think they've got some foundational pieces, obviously with Collier playing at a very high level. Um, Cheryl Reeve saying an MVP level this season. I don't think she's wrong, especially with the way we saw her play in this game and in a lot of these other games down the stretch. You know, Kayla McBride is good. Um, Diamond Miller, the number two overall pick, she had her moments this year, but she can take another step forward, and they will still get a decent draft pick next year in what should be a fairly deep draft. They probably won't have a shot at the best of the best players because they did make the postseason this year, but they will get another piece around which they could perhaps build their foundation. It's not always those number one or number two picks that become those pieces. Nafisa Collier could be taken with around the same pick, or was taken with perhaps around the same pick as what the Lynx will get this year in the draft. So maybe they can find another player like that to complement their core. But a little bit of an interesting offseason for them. Maybe they can add some players in free agency as well because they're going to have a lot of, of room, I believe, with a lot of contracts set to expire. Now, that's the ending, the beginning, the wild 
back on the ice now. It just does it doesn't feel quite real. It's September, but here they are. Like I said the other day, the play you know the, the preseason games start almost immediately. I think their pre first preseason games in like three days. Like get back on the ice, skate around a little bit, and then let's go. Let's go start to you know throw some pucks on net, start to play these games. Their season will be here before we know it, just a few weeks from now. Some intrigue around this. Can they take the next step? Can they avoid taking a step back? I think those are two valid questions. I think they've overachieved to a certain degree in recent years, not in the playoffs, but certainly in the regular season. I don't think we can automatically assume that that will continue this year. But So they're going to be measured in two different ways. Can they sustain in the regular season? And then can they go beyond once they get to the playoffs? Three three competitive playoff series each of the last three years, but ultimately the same result, disappointing losses in extended series in the first round. Kind of the story of the franchise for a long time and the story of the franchise lately. That will do it for me today. Plenty more Twins talk tomorrow, among other things, with Lavelle E. Neal III. That is the expectation, at least. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Back at it again tomorrow.